Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You can do something that is, you know, a betrayal towards someone else, but what you need to really understand is, first and foremost, it's a betrayal of God, okay? Yes, you can, like if you, the example will be, you know, stealing from somebody else. Yeah, you've stolen from someone else, but before that, you have sinned against God. David and Bathsheba, right? His prayer, I think it's in Psalm 51, was to you and you alone have I sinned against. Sin doesn't just affect one person. It can affect your friends, your co-workers, your family, and ultimately, your sin affects God. The second you sin, God feels the betrayal. You might think that you've gotten away with whatever you're doing, but God saw it. He knows what you've done, and you can't hide anything from Him. Today, Pastor James is going to remind you that even though God might be disappointed that you sin, He still loves you and cares for you, no matter what it is that you've done. Remember, He's already forgiven you. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. So we're going to get into the word. We got a couple of chapters we're going to cover as we're going through the book of Numbers. Chapters one through four, we've kind of gone through this whole thing of like getting the nation of Israel ready to go to begin the journey into the promised land. They have come out of Egypt at this point in time. Chronologically, historically, we are, we are kind of like a year removed, so to speak, from Egypt. Like all that crazy stuff has happened, the plagues, the splitting of the Red Sea, all that's happened. Now you have like, you've gone into, you know, they're camped out at Mount Sinai. You had the Ten Commandments that have happened. You've had the, the instructions for the tabernacle that have been given to Moses, who he delegated out to the people. They've built these things. They've constructed these things. We are all set and ready for our road trip. Okay, and I'm going to keep saying this because I think it's key. Had the children of Israel been obedient, it would have only taken two weeks. Had they been obedient, but they were not obedient. So it took them a total of 40 years, enough time for that generation to die off. Okay, because they were disobedient. And so as we're going through numbers, chapters one, two, three, and four, I mean, it's, it's lining out the tribes, okay, where they're going to camp out around the tabernacle. But then when it's time to leave, who goes first, who's in the middle, and then who brings up the rear? Who's the caboose, right? So it's getting this all set up. And then chapter five is going to segue to like, now we're going to talk about your personal lives. Okay. Now let's talk about community. Okay. Cause we got the, we, we got the plan. We got the travel plan. That's, that's all ready to go. J. Vernon McGee, he has this quote introing this chapter five. He says, we've seen the orderly arrangement of the camp, which is the preparation for the wilderness march. There had to be this preparation. The Christian today needs to recognize that he is a pilgrim going through the wilderness of this world. Everything and everyone must be in his place for the walk, the work, the war, and the worship in the wilderness. We come to the instructions concerning cleansing the camp. That's what we're going to be talking about. 
which includes chapter five through eight. As we come to this section on cleansing of the camp, we need to recognize that the, that the reason for the cleansing is that they and we are serving a holy God. So before we begin the journey, God's like, okay, let's talk about personal holiness. Let's talk about personal holiness before we get going on this and, and how we interact with each other. This is all absolutely key on how we interact with each other with each other, and then separately as we go from this building and we live our personal lives. Everything we do matters because we are on a march through the wilderness. This place is not our home. We're going to heaven, okay? There's a battlefield. This is, let's call it not a wilderness, let's call it a battlefield. And we are soldiers on the same team. And if we are soldiers on the same team and we are fighting against each other, we're doing the enemy a tremendous favor, so this is what he's talking about. This is chapter five, it's about purity. It's about purity. Verse one, chapter five, says the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Command the people of Israel to remove from the camp anyone who has a skin disease or a discharge or who has been ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person. All right, so this is right off the bat. Here's Moses, God to Moses. He's like, all right, listen up. Now your Bible translation may say leprosy and that's, not exactly it. More correct translation should say some sort of skin disease, okay? So this is just a, a separation. This isn't a kicked out of the family. This is a separation for the health of the whole community. That's all he's talking about here. It's not like, all right, you guys get out and we're going to leave without you, right? It's not that. He's just saying, for the sake of the health of the community, these skin diseases, these discharges, which would make one unclean, all you got to do is go back to Leviticus for that. Same with the dis or the skin disease, and also the like touching a dead person, which is okay. Like, uh, don't do that. Number one, I don't think I need to say that. Your personal application is not really needed there, unless you're a coroner or you're working in a funeral home. But like, don't, just don't touch dead people. That's fine. I had to fortunate. I had to pick up a dead bird today, which is not a dead person, but it's a good thing I haven't taken a Nazarite vow because I had to remove the dead bird from the sidewalk so that he wouldn't scare any small children showing up to church. And nobody picked them up all day. But for the children of Israel, there's three things that they, that distinctions that had to be made before they made their journey. Anybody who has a skin disease, that, that would, the reference there would be something that's contagious, Okay. So you're going to isolate them for a season so they get better, okay? And there's, there's rules on how to help them get clean. And it's all found in Leviticus, and it's a beautiful book, okay? And, and they would follow those rules to help that person out because it's not just like, oh, you got eczema? Adios, you're out of here, right? And you're like, oh, just, I was born like this. I, I have eczema, right? I'd be disqualified. Half my family would be disqualified, no, it's like, we're going to set you aside for a season till you get better so you're not spreading whatever that thing is. Whatever discharge you, ha- you have, we're going to set you aside so we can get that thing resolved. It's really addressing this, this personal holiness, but also the health of the community and the ceremony unclean, you know, by touching a dead person. So Moses gets that from God. And then verse three, it says, this command applies to men and women alike. Remove them so they will not defile the camp in which I live among them. His tabernacle, his presence was amongst them. Verse four, so the Israelites did as the Lord had commanded Moses and removed such people from the camp. So there you go. Again, the book of Numbers, we're starting off good. Whatever you say, Moses, we're in. You got it. 
This guy, oh, that, that guy's got the rash thing. Get him out of here, right? So they, they scoot him away for a little bit. They're just getting ready for the journey. Verse five, then the Lord said to Moses, Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they are guilty, okay? Now, here's, there's something important we need to note before we move on from this. You can do something that is, you know, a betrayal towards someone else, but you, what you need to really understand is, first and foremost, it's a betrayal of God, okay? Yes, you can, like if you, and the example will be, you know, stealing from somebody else. Yeah, you've stolen from someone else, but before that, you have sinned against God. David and Bathsheba, right? His prayer, I think it's in Psalm 51, was to you and you alone have I sinned against. Now, did he sin against Uriah? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. One of his soldiers, and he had him killed. Did he sin against Bathsheba? He should have never entered into that little relationship with her. Right? There was a little a baby that ended up dying as well. But David knew, first and foremost, against you and you alone have I sinned against. Right? And so it's, it's fascinating that the word puts that there for us. If any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing a wrong to another person, betray the Lord, that frames it out in a whole new light. Okay? That's a good, good little motivation. Let me... Let me just jump back to this separating out before we get too far into this. I, I did have a, a few other little quotes I wanted to read to you guys real quick. Brian, this is a guy that I actually served under in, in California for when I was at Bible college. Did children's ministry. That was my first ministry gig. Uh, it was voluntary. So I know what it's like to volunteer at a church. I took a children's ministry class at Bible college where my wife was in, and that's how we met, was in children's ministry class. And we served the three-year-old at Calvary Chapel Marietta, and that's the best gig in the world, okay? That is the best gig in the world. If you think this is the best gig, you have no idea. You have no idea. Three-year-olds are like the best. So all you gotta do is give them snacks, play with them, teach them a little Bible story, sing some songs with them, and they love you forever. I mean, it's amazing. It's like the sweetest gig ever. Anyways, I found this quote from Brian. Concerning the, the three distinct ones, I, this, is that, this was that moment for me where it was like, holy cow, how did I miss this? Whether it be the, the skin disease, the discharge, or the dead person, this is what Brian said about this. It's too good for me to pass up. Excluded from the camp. Why? Because Jehovah was there. Such was the righteous function of the law. When in grace, Jesus came or returned to the camp, and he did what? He cleansed the leper. Luke chapter 5, verse 13. He stopped the issue of blood. Luke chapter 7, verse 15. And he raised the dead. Luke chapter 8, verse 44. Isn't that beautiful how those three things were like, we got to separate you guys. And then Jesus showed up and he's like, check, check, check. Gotcha. You're all welcome back in. You want to hang out with God? You want access to the throne of God? It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus, who can take care of the leprosy, who can take care of the issue of blood that had devastated this poor lady for years, 12 years of her life, and then also raised the dead. It says, he, Brian Bell goes on to say, not kicked out of the family, but for a time they were camp followers only, excluded until their purification was ensured according to the provision of the laws already given question he poses, have you put out all that contaminates your life? 
certain friends, stuff, all that distracts. We're headed to home, guys. We're headed to home. And us personally, just like, I mean, Numbers chapter 5 directly applies to us today. You're going on this journey. You got to get rid of the junk. You got to get rid of the stuff. Get rid of the stuff. And then don't just like, don't just pretend like, well, I'll just set it over here. And then my willpower will be strong enough to keep me going straight. No, you take those things and you give them to Jesus. You place them at his feet and then you back away. They're yours. Please take them, Lord, because I can't carry these things. So that's that quote. So then you go from that right into this, how we deal with each other, this unity portion that, I w- that we were you know, kind of getting into, but I remember that quote. So when we rob from each other, when we, when we hurt each other, we're hurting the Lord. I mean, we're just, that's, the sin is, is first against, it's a betrayal of the Lord. That was in verse six. Verse seven, they, the guilty party, they must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done adding an additional 20% and returning it to the person who was wronged. Yeah, right? Like, hey, hey, I don't know if anybody's watching a live stream who like works in like police departments or the White House. They're not, they're not watching. I mean, the Bible has some really good stuff. Really good stuff about dealing with crime. Really good things. You want to keep people from stealing? Okay, well, number one, they, you know, they could be locked up. That's one thing. Uh, How about retribution? How about paying it back plus 20%? That might curb that whole theft thing that we have a real problem with in Houston right now. I don't know if you noticed that for the past two years, theft has skyrocketed in the town that's just not too far from us. Well, how do we, how do we stop that? Well, um, it's got to be more than a slap on the wrist. I think the Bible and God knew what he was doing when he laid out these rules and said, no, look, you address it like this. You, if you stole something from your neighbor, you're going to give it back plus 20%. That'll teach you. I bet that wasn't a big problem for these guys back in the day. We have a New Testament story that kind of magnifies this to a certain extent. You had a, a little guy named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. We little man was he, right? That's a song, I think. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he was going to see. I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from. I didn't go to church when I was a kid, so I don't know. But Zacchaeus was, he, he was notorious for stealing, essentially. And the law would say Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus and Jesus came to his house, because Jesus showed up and he's like, no, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house. You're going to your house. You didn't have to climb in a tree to see me because I was coming looking for you that in that city of Jericho. And so Zacchaeus has, has Jesus and his followers, his disciples there at his house. And Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to pay everybody back. The law said 20%. Zacchaeus paid back 40%. 40. He didn't have to. But such was the transformation that Jesus had caused in his life. He was like, I'll go above and beyond what the law at one point in time had required. But that's where he gets this from. It's in Numbers. We also saw this in, in Leviticus as well. But if you're going to steal from somebody, if you're going to rob from somebody, then you're going to pay them back whatever it was, plus 20%. And why? why? Why are we addressing this right now? And I hinted at it earlier. Unity is why. Warren Wiersbe says that another factor underscores the importance of confession and restitution. Israel was about to confront their enemies. And there could be no unity in the army if the people were in conflict with one another because of unresolved offenses. 
The soldiers would be alienated from each other and from the Lord, and that would lead to defeat. True unity begins when everybody being with everybody being right with God and right with each other, right with each other. And stealing only hurts yourself. It really, you're only robbing yourself, right? I found this illustration today. In 1887, a man named Emmanuel, Emmanuel was visiting a small neighborhood grocery store, which he always frequented. He was buying some turnip greens. He gives the clerk a $20 bill, 1884, $20 bill. That's a lot of money, okay? So as the clerk begins to put the money in the cash drawer to give Emmanuel his change, she noticed that some of the ink from the $20 bill was coming off on her fingers, which were damp from the turnip greens. She looked at Emmanuel, a man she's known for years. She looked at the smudged bill. This man was a trusted friend. She has known him all her life, and there's no way he could be a counterfeiter. She gave him back his change, and he left the store. Eventually, it stuck with her, though, and she, she ended up calling the police to alert them of this. They verified that the bill was counterfeit, and they set a, a search to go find Emmanuel. And they go to his home, and in the attic, they found in his attic, that's where he was reproducing money. Okay, so get this. He was a master artist, master artist, and he was painting $20 bills, hand-painting $20 bills with brushes and paint. But also in the attic, they found three portraits that Emmanuel had, had painted, they seized these and eventually sold them at an auction for $16,000, okay, in 1887, $16,000. It was, ended up being a little bit more than $5,000 per painting. The irony is that it took Emmanuel almost as long to paint a $20 bill as it did for him to paint a $5,000 portrait. It says, it's true he was a thief, but the person from whom he stole the most was himself, why are you painting $20 bills when you got three masterpieces in your attic, right? That kind of correlates right into this. If, if we're stealing from each other or if we're stealing from somebody else, you're not hurting anybody else. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. And then, I mean, that does, it does overflow into the corporate body. If this is believers stealing from believers, which should never happen, then, then we're just, that's friendly fire in the battle, like, no, are, we're not supposed to be fighting amongst ourselves. We shouldn't be hurting ourselves. And this is really what, what the Lord, through Moses, is getting to the people. is like, we're going to address these things right now because we're about to march off into battle. So they got to confess their sins. they got to make restitution, and then they go additional. They go 20% above that. Verse 8, it says, but if the person who was wronged is dead... And there's no near relatives to whom the restitution can be made. A payment belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest. Those who are guilty must bring a ram as a sacrifice and they will be purified and made right with the Lord. So that's the good news, right? Like you've done a wrong, then you can be made right with the Lord. Like that's the beauty of it. Okay. They're not kicked out of the family. They did a wrong. You did a wrong against a fellow brother. And in this scenario, maybe that brother had passed away. There still has to be retribution, okay? It may not go to their family, but it's going to go back to the Lord. But there's forgiveness that he still makes available to each and every one of us. He's not kicking you out of the family, but he does expect for you to come back and own it. Say, I was wrong. I sinned against you, Lord, and I sinned against my brother. Make it right. Make it right. Make it right. 
All the sacrifice offerings that the Israelites bring to the priest will belong to him. Each priest may keep all the sacred donations that he receives. A little bonus for the priest there. They don't have anything. They don't own land, nothing like that. So there, anything that the priests are going to have, the Levites, is going to come from the other people, right? And sometimes they benefit from somebody else's stupidity, okay? <laughs> Be like, oh, you robbed that guy. Sweet. Where's that 20%? Now here's a, a, an interesting section, Okay verses 11 through the rest of chapter five. Protecting marital faithfulness. Interesting, okay? So you go from a very public kind of display of sin, robbing, stealing from others. That's very outwardly. Then you go into like this more of a secret kind of sin, right? Here's the deal. God knows the hidden sins of our hearts. So don't try to hide it from him because you will lose. We always lose, right? Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Suppose a man, a man's wife goes astray and she is unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. Oh, well, somebody does know about it. His name is God. Okay. All right. So this is a, a hypothetical, right? Let's say this, this goes on. How do we handle this? So she's defiled herself, and even though there was no witness and she was not caught in the act, if her husband becomes jealous or has a spirit of jealousy and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the husband must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering." Right? There's no sweetness to this thing. It's just straight bitter is what this offering is. Okay? An offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. Okay. Yeah, this is interesting because you're like, well, this just sounds, well, it sounds kind of, well, what if it's a dude? What if it's a guy, right? This sounds a little chauvinistic or whatever. It's not. Just so you understand, because this is sometimes hard for us Westerners to get, God, this is God's way of protecting women in marriages. Okay, because if this wasn't put into place and let's say a husband who has an issue with jealousy that is unfounded, is constantly accusing his wife of sleeping around. Well, if this thing wasn't in place, what he would be, what he would have the right to do is to pull her out and have her killed. But this is God saying, no, 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 I'm going to protect wives. You can't just go and do whatever you want to your wife. You can't. You got a suspicion. Okay, bring her to the priest. Let's figure this out. And this would expose, it could expose the wife, but this could also expose the husband. Be like, dude, you got issues. Trust issues. How many times have you been at the temple today? Right? Like, you, got, you need counseling, right? You guys need to figure this thing out. Let's make this work. But this is a protective thing. And, and uh, there's a lot of people who don't like the Bible who will go to this passage and say, see, look how horrible it is. The Bible is just hates women and all this stuff. And they don't understand God, nor do they understand the word of God. This is a very protective thing. And Moses is using a hypothetical situation that really is going to save wives. The other thing is you can read through the Old Testament. We don't have every story recorded. But we know for sure you don't have any of these instances recorded at all. So there's, there's really no idea. Like, we don't even know if this ever even happened. This has been another edition of Bread for the Broken. And all of us here are so glad that you joined us today. 
The message you just heard was from the Book of Numbers, where Pastor James has been camping out. Our existence could definitely be seen as dotted with hills, valleys, streams, and rivers, couldn't it? I wonder if we would realize the evidence of God in our lives if we were to map it out on a piece of paper. You'd see where he showed up and where he corrected behavior or maybe where he changed our course. Numbers is a book detailing the Israelites' desert stay after leaving Egypt. In it, we can see how disobedience and defiance don't go unnoticed. God is patient, but there comes a point when our actions deserve redirection, deserve a consequence. We can't follow God and obey what He says if our eyes are always focused on ourselves or our circumstances. So, what do you think? Are you ready for a shift in focus? Are you ready to find hope and new life in Jesus? If so, we'd love to pray with you and walk through that decision with you here at Bread for the Broken. Just visit us at breadforthebroken.com. Another way that you can connect with us is through our Facebook live stream. It's a great way to connect and learn from afar. We're a laid-back church in Galveston, Texas, that just wants to magnify Jesus at all ages. Will you help us in this mission? On our website, breadforthebroken.com, there's a donation link. It's easy to use, so we encourage you to check it out. We're so glad that you were able to sit and soak in the words of Jesus today with Pastor James. We look forward to meeting with you again next time, here on Bread for the Broken.